This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. And we're getting ready for the second hour of Hot Stove Live from the Mariners Team Store. Here in Bellevue, uh, welcome everybody. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. Before we have a chance to visit with new Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth, who was at uh, AA last year, then the Mariners called him up at the end of the season, a chance to work at the big league level. Uh, we're going to give away uh, a very special gift uh, for the folks that were here today. They filled out... Uh, you know, uh, a few pieces of paper here with their name and phone number and email address to get, to win a prize. And this is a very special prize. Our lucky winner is going to get an autographed Edgar Martinez cap, a cap signed by the Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez, went into the Cooperstown, New York, the Hall of Fame, last July 31st. So we picked out our lucky winner, and she is Elise Hughes. Elise Hughes. So, Elise, uh, you have won the uh, autographed Edgar Martinez cap. So... Uh, congratulations on that. Rick Briz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. And during this uh, second hour, we're going to visit with Pete, the new Mariners pitching coach, Pete Woodworth. But also later on in the hour, Shannon, you did uh, have a chance to sit down and talk with one of the top young prospects, not only in the Mariners organization, but in baseball, Logan Gilbert. We had a chance to visit with Logan a few weeks ago when uh, that leadership conference was here. Mm-hmm. Big right-hander, very talented. What did you find out about this young man before we... Listen to your interview. Well, it was a lot of fun to talk with him. We uh, set up a Skype interview. We do videos over at 710 on MyNorthwest.com. Uh, boy, howdy, you've met him, I think, before. Sure. And I sit and talk baseball once every two weeks. And we thought, you know, we've got that nice little studio downstairs. We've got all the technology. And rather than get these guys on the phone, let's get them on Skype. And so Logan was nice enough to set up the Skype. And so we had a nice conversation. He was in Florida. We were in Seattle and talked to him for about 20 minutes and got a little bit into just kind of who he was, what he's been up to. Uh, there's a movie that very much inspired what he does out on the mound, which was very interesting. He'll get into that awesome. a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's just a great opportunity to sit down and these, you know, we're going to see Logan Gilbert next year. Yeah. yeah, I think that's almost been made you know, pretty crystal clear to us in the way that he's moved through the organization so quick, the opportunity to sit down and get familiar with a guy who's going to be up with this club for a yeah. long, long time. A lot of fun. Yeah, he pitched at three different levels last year. He started off at uh, low A and then uh, in West Virginia, I think it was 1-0 and with a 1.5 ERA, then went to Modesto where he was... Uh, four and two, and had a 1.79 ERA. Then he ended up at Double A Arkansas, five and three there, I believe, with a 2.88 ERA, more strikeouts than innings pitched. So, folks, that's a name you you're going to be hearing about uh, in the very near future. Logan Gilbert, along with so many other young players coming through the organization. Rick Bray, Shannon Dreyer, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. The second hour of Hot Stove continues live from the Mariners Team Store here in Bellevue. Right after this timeout, we'll visit with new pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Right after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, the Hot Stove continues to heat up. We're getting ready for the second hour for live from the Mariners Team Store here in Bellevue Square. Rick Riz, Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. Right now, we're going to see how quick you are on the phone. 
All you have to do is call in, and you're going to win right now a customized replica jersey. Value is $170. The winner of this prize will get a replica jersey of their choice for free customization. Wear what the players wear by picking up any Mariners jersey and get it customized with your own name and number. And be the third caller. Call in right now at 866-979-3776. Dial right now the Third caller will get the customized jersey. That's 866-979-3776. So welcome back to the Hot Stove. We have a chance to visit with new Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Pete, thanks for joining us tonight. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Tell us where you are right now, where's home, and a little bit about Pete Woodworth. Home is in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, Born and raised, but I am in Nashville, Tennessee, with uh, I think there's 12, maybe 14 uh, Mariners. We're here at Pitchapalooza, a um, pitching convention um, here in Nashville for, for the weekend. Tell us a little bit about Pitching Palooza. <laughs> we got to hear more yeah, about we, that. you got to fill us in on Pitching Palooza. <laughs> what happens there at Pitching Palooza? <laughs> um, it started, I want to say, five or six years ago. Um, it's, it's grown every year. It's, uh, it's just a bunch of pitching coaches from all over the country. They come together. Um, there's, there's presentations. There's, uh, there's demonstrations. There's a ton of, of networking and, and collaboration. Um, now there's, there's more from the strength coaches and movement aspects. Um, so there's a, there's a ton of knowledge um, and it's, it's a good chance for, for us as coaches to, to learn more about our craft, but to, to spend time together and, and bounce ideas off each other. And you never know who you're going to run into, but fortunately for us, like I said, there's, there's everybody from Carson Vitale, Jared Sandberg, uh, Max Wiener. We have, basically have our entire minor league pitching coach staff is here. There's uh, a handful of scouts. Um, anybody from all aspects of the, the org, you name it. Pete, is there a gift store there? Could you, like, bring back T-shirts for us or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> um, there's, there's a ton of, uh, ton of products, and hopefully they give us a, a little swag, swag bag I could bring back for you guys. Hey, if you get everybody in pitching in one place, I mean, what, what is the dream conversation for you? Who would you like to pick their brain on pitching the most? Uh, like of all time? Yeah. I've always said that, uh, if I could spend one day, one round of golf with Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz, that would be, uh, that would be a dream come true. Um, but shoot, the, the, the group of guys that we have right here, right now, um, is, is a pretty special group. Okay, we, Rick kind of started getting into it a little bit. You're, you're from St. Petersburg. You've been with the organization for a few years. Did great work at AA this year. How did you come into coaching? Um, in 2010, I was, uh, I was at Florida Gulf Coast University, um, and the, the last pick of the draft was picked, and uh, my name was not selected that draft, and so... The next day, I packed up my car and I drove to Wisconsin to coach in the uh, Northwoods League Collegiate Summer League for Andy McKay. Um, 
and I I was starting my coaching career. I kind of turned the page on my playing career, and and uh, I always knew that was that was Plan B. Um, and as soon as I got there, after driving for forty hours, the Tampa Bay Rays called me uh, to to come sign a contract and pitch for them that summer. Uh, so unfortunately, I had to tell Andy McKay that I could not coach for him. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure Scott Service's son was on that yeah. team, um, and he ended up hiring Ethan Katz to to be his pitching coach when I uh, when I couldn't do that. But uh, after my playing career ended, I I got into scouting with the Tampa Bay Rays and uh, a school in Fort Lauderdale, Florida called Nova Southeastern uh, brought me on. That was my first coaching job. Um, the Division II school in, in Fort Lauderdale and it was it was great because it was a, a, a group of, of young young pitchers that were that were hungry for knowledge and and uh, there was kind of blank canvases in there and, and so there was a lot of room for for growth on, on my end, but experimentation and just trying to, to figure out who I was going to be as a coach. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go back to my alma mater and coach at Florida Gulf Coast. And in 2016, uh, Andy McKay called me again to, uh, to see if I would come coach with the Mariners. And fortunately, this time it worked out. I'm curious because you brought it up, but when you mentioned Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, um, fortunately or unfortunately, I had the opportunity to face all three of those guys. And when you think <laughs> about today's game, and we, hear, we, we, we think about um, launch angle and spin rate and pitch at the top of the strike zone, um, it seems that Smoltz certainly could fit in that category with his fastball and the slider that he had pitching at the top of the zone. But facing Glavin and Maddox, those guys were typically down, down, down. Mm-hmm. The game evolves all the time, and... Please tell me that you believe this because I certainly do. But all of those guys would be great pitchers even in today's era. But they might have to make some changes here and there. Um, but when you look at pitchers in general, and I guess the one that comes to mind for me is Marco, um, just because I think about him. And then you, you know you mix in a Glavin or somebody, just the type of stuff that he has, and he goes about his business. How do you differentiate when you're talking about starting pitching the stuff that they have, um, the intel in which you guys are dealing with, the information in today's game? And, and find out what works best for those guys and decide whether or not they can pitch at this level? Ooh, good question. Um, Thank you. Well, Marco is very intelligent um, and, and similar to Glavin. He, if, if, if Tom pitched in today's game, he'd, he'd find a way to, to make it work. He'd find a way to, to still be elite. Um, and I, I think Marco is the same way. He... Uh, He's, he's going to use all of the resources and all the tools, um, you know, combined with his competitive nature and, you know, his, his, the stuff that he already has, um, to, to find any advantage, any way to, to get an edge, to, to continue developing and to be elite. Um, I don't know if that answers the question for you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Pete, uh, I know you're a good coach because you were at AA Arkansas last year and you had so many all-stars on that team, pitchers and position players. But the guy that I want to talk to you about is Justice Sheffield. He starts off the year at AAA Tacoma, struggles, goes down to your ball club down in Arkansas and really gets things turned around. He used that experience as a springboard to get back to the big leagues last year 
And I think this kid is going to make a big adjustment and play a big role in the success for this organization moving forward. What in the world did you see when Sheffield came down to you at AA, and what did you do with Justice to get him to the big leagues at the end of the year? Ooh, um, Justice did that himself, and I'll actually give a lot of a lot of the credit to to his teammates as well. Um, when when Justice showed up, um, there was there was a tough go in Tacoma. Um, you know, I, I obviously I wasn't there. I couldn't see it day in and day out. But you you saw the box scores. You saw the the numbers. Um, him coming back to Arkansas was a was a way for him to to reset a little bit. Um, he 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 came into an environment and a a culture where the other four starting pitchers um, really and truly cared about each other and and had a ton of fun coming to the ballpark every day. Uh, I, I know that sounds a little corny, but no, no, when when you're showing up and and every starting pitcher is going out there and, and throwing six and seven innings and, and doing their job and and enjoying it and having fun and the team is winning, uh, that's a lot different than than the opposite when you're when you're sitting in the stands and you're charting and every night you're looking out there and it's 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 different. Um, so he he came into a a really good environment and he was able to take a breath and and go back to to being justice going back to doing what he has always done really well um and it it was a, a I don't want to say a fresh start because it was the middle of the season but he was able to kind of put the first half of the season behind him and say okay this is where I am right now this is who I am. Um, I'm enjoying competing. I'm enjoying developing. Um, and I know the path that I need to, to stay on, the path I need to take that's going to get me to the big leagues. And this is that path. Well, you did a great job with that kid. Visiting with New Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. We'll be back with Pete as the second hour of Hot Stove continues live from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue Square right after this timeout. We are live tonight from the Mariners team store here in Bellevue. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill Jr. We're going to give away another uh, nice gift right here. It's going to be a Mariners holiday sweater. Need the perfect outfit for your holiday gatherings? Just get our holiday sweater right here and spread some Mariners cheer. We have a winner. Uh, Shannon picked out the name. Allison Sherry. Allison Sherry is the winner of the Mariners holiday sweater. Allison, the Mariners, and uh, Cairo 710 ESPN will get in touch with you to get that beautiful Mariners holiday sweater. We're going to be uh, we're visiting right now with Mariners new pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Pete, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Our first hot stove of the uh, 2019 season as we get ready for the 2020 season. I want to ask you, you know, you were at Double E last year, then you were called up at the end of the season as the Mariners do in previous years, a number of coaches get to come up. What was that experience like for you to come up and uh, spend some time here at the end of the season to see the a lot of the young pitchers that you had down at Double A, and here they are in the big leagues along with yourself. Um, I, I I don't think it was as cool as as Art Warren and Justin Dunn and 
Kyle Lewis and Donnie Walton actually making their debuts, but it was it was awesome to to be able to to kind of come along with those guys and and get to experience those last couple weeks. But to see um, to see those four guys make their debuts and and to see a handful of the other guys that had passed through Arkansas this year, um, you know, performing at at the big league level like they were doing. Um, you know, it, it was icing on on the cake of a of a fantastic year that we had in Little Rock. You did have a great year, and it really kind of hit home for me. We would get clips and we would see things that you were doing, but when we dropped by and saw you guys when you were taking on Texas's affiliate on your birthday, if I remember correctly, um, up on the board there, they had uh, leaderboard after leaderboard after leaderboard they were showing before the game. And it was your guys at the top and usually second of all of those things. Uh, strikeouts, wins, ERA, everything along those lines, be it starters, be it relievers. Uh, aside from talent, what did you have there as a group that was able to accomplish what they did this year? Uh, that, that group uh, was extremely special, and it, it, was, it was unique what they, could, what they created from the, the very beginning. Um, the, the culture and environment that they had um, – like I said, the, the starting pitchers had such a close knit group. Um, they pulled for one another. They, you obviously spend a lot of time with one another in a, in 140, 162 game season. Um, but these guys were, they, they truly cared about each other. Um, so there's, there's that internal competition with brotherly love, um, which it, if one guy went seven and struck out eight, like, all right. Ricardo Sanchez, it's your turn, and and he'll go eight and strike out nine. Like there was just always pushing each other in a in a fun way, um, and the the bullpen was was even more special. The the identity that they created, um, and we had a lot of guys come up and 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 leave, and the new pieces that came in just fit and meshed so well. That that uh, that group, that identity, um, just continued to flourish all year. Um, you know, the, we were fortunate to have the starters that we did, but they were extremely happy to hand the ball over in the sixth, seventh inning because uh, because of what was coming in those those later innings. Well, Pete, I'll tell you what, the organization is now happy to turn over the fortunes to you as the new pitching coach for this ball club. I know you're excited about getting down to spring training and working with the kids and the veterans on this uh, pitching staff, the starters, the reliever, to see how everything comes together. We want to thank you for coming by and joining us here on our first edition of Hot Stove. We appreciate it, Pete, and uh, we'll see you at spring training. We're going to be visiting with you quite a bit. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You're welcome, Pete. And more from Hot Stove Live from Bellevue Square, the Mariners team store, right after this. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. We are back live here at the Mariners Team Store. Shannon Dreyer, Rick Rose, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill with the Hot Stove Show. Hey, if you're looking for a little bit of extra baseball talk during the off season, over on the MyNorthwest.com site with 710, uh, I, along with 
Boy, howdy. James Osborne do a bi-weekly video vodcast that also has a podcast. We sit down, we talk baseball. And we started to add some different things into the mix. And today we had the opportunity to do something really fun. We set up a Skype interview with Logan Gilbert. Of course, uh, Logan, the Mariners' number one pick in the draft a year ago. They were expecting big things from him. I fully expect we are going to see him midsummer. But had the opportunity to have kind of a face-to-face interview with him earlier today. And here's a piece of that. Logan, great to see you. It's been a couple of months. We saw you up in Seattle at the end of the season. Uh, where do we find you right now? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm actually back home in Apopka, Florida, uh, living at home. Tell us about Apopka. It's uh, in the Orlando area, from what I understand. Yeah, it's right outside Orlando. Um, it's pretty nice here. I mean, uh, not one of the biggest cities or anything like that, but, you know, just Kind of like a small hometown feel to it, and uh, it's really nice. I like it here. What's the best thing when you get to go home? What's the first thing that you have to do when you get home? Yeah, I like golfing around here, like going to the beach. When I get back to Florida, that's always a, a bonus, nice thing to do. Hey, a great story. We all know, you know, the selected first by the Mariners in the draft a couple of years ago, and I can't imagine what that is like when you're in your college career and everything is gearing up. And as far as everything that you're doing in college and your season, and oh, by the way, there is a draft right now. How, how, what was that week like for you? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it's kind of hectic, a lot's going on, but at the same time, you just try to enjoy it because, you know, you're deep in a college season with all your best friends and also your, the draft's coming up, um, you know, everything I've worked for my whole life um, in terms of baseball. So it's pretty chaotic, a lot going on, but also really rewarding when all of that is happening at the same time. What would you say was the highlight of your college career? Uh, I think there at the end, we made it. Uh, we actually won a regional and went to a super regional, uh, first time in Stetson history. So it was kind of nice to uh, one of the best seasons in such a long history of Stetson baseball. It is a long history and some notable arms there as well. Did they have influence on you? Uh, not too much. I, I haven't gotten to talk to him, but I remember um, on my recruiting visit was the day DeGrom won the Cy Young, or Rookie of the Year. So it was a pretty big deal, a lot of buzz going on around there. And that's when you know I kind of thought this could be a great place for pitchers to come out of here. <laughs> How did you decide on Stetson? Um, it was pretty close here. I knew a couple people that went there and heard great things. Um, the academics were great, which was a big part of where I wanted to go. And then also the baseball, just a nice... Uh, tradition and some of the arms that came out of there, of course, uh, made it pretty easy to choose there. What was your major? Uh, business analytics. Oh, yeah. and how does that apply? Does that help with the baseball? Uh, not too much, actually. Um, I decided on it because I watched the movie Moneyball, actually, and I got really interested in that side of it with all the analytics and baseball. So, you know, who knows? Maybe after when I'm done playing, I can get into that side of things. What kind of jumped out of you in that movie? Um, I think just uh, all the little things kind of behind the scenes that go into winning a ball game and everybody, you know, of course the talent's so important, but if you're not using it the right way, um, there's little stats that can really matter a long time in winning games. How do you use analytics on a daily basis? Um, there's, there's a lot that goes into it for pitching. Um, I kind of just got exposed to it this year and it was a big part of it, seeing some of the numbers where uh, we look at spin direction, uh, spin rate, uh, release height, release angle, all these different things that go into it. You know, I always thought you pretty much just grip it and throw the ball, but there's so much more that goes into it from releasing the ball and then its actual flight in the air, how it lands across on plate. 
Can you explain? Because these are things that they're terms that I think baseball fans are getting more familiar with now. And I think even if you watch the World Series, you started to see a little bit more of this uh, in some of the broadcast. Um, they can be tough concepts to grasp onto. And we've actually done some videos talking about this. I know you know Brian Delonis. He came in and he explained a lot of this too. But as a pitcher, uh, how do you use that? How do you uh, take a look at it? How do you adjust when you take a look at it? What are the things that are most useful to you? Yeah, so I mean, just a couple things that stick out for me. Um, I think every pitcher is different, but it really resonates with me, the spin direction of the ball. So thinking of a clock and where the numbers are, certain pitches will either uh, stay in the air longer or maybe drop off depending on which uh, the spin direction is. So for fastball, I want to be more towards 12 o'clock where uh, my changeup will be more towards like 2.30 on a clock so it can just fall throughout the air. So different ways like that, just depending on the way the ball is spinning, it makes it move certain ways. You have access to some of these things, I would imagine, in college, but how did they impact what you did this year? It was a huge part of it. I mean, from the developing all the way from, I think, to spring training to the end of the season, um, I think I see a huge jump in the way my pitches performed and the way they were coming out of my hand. Uh, everything was a little sharper and more consistent where a big part of it was I knew every time I threw it, the pitch was pretty much going to do the same thing instead of kind of guessing where I would need to start it or something like that. I think you summed it up. It's like you think things just happen or you have it or you don't, but there are ways to keep it or right. to improve on it. Pretty pretty impressive right there. Who are some of the people in this organization who have most influenced what you're doing out on the Hill in the short time that you've been with the Mariners? Uh, gosh, there's a lot of people. I think from the player side of it, um, I have a good relation relationship with Cal Raleigh. He's really helped me behind the plate. And then also getting to Arkansas, working with Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield. Those guys have had, I mean, just in the time I was there, had a huge impact on me and really helped me out kind of took me under their wing and showed me how it's done, stuff like that. I got to visit that team when they were in uh, Texas. Mariners were, had a day off when we were there, and so we went over and double-A. Uh, I think you were pitching that day, so we didn't talk to you. But uh, to see how Justice and Justin kind of play off of each other a little bit, it was, you know, they like to take the ball from each other. They mentioned you a little bit. It, it seems like a really good thing kind of going between a younger group of pitchers. Oh yeah, for sure. I showed up there. They were, I could tell right away. They're really tight, really close knit group. And then coming in as the new guy, you see that and you kind of want to distance yourself a little bit, not just jump into it, but they're really welcoming, wanted me to be a part of it, all that stuff and never skipped a beat, just joined the group and went rolling from there. One of the things that you just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you said Cal Raleigh has been somebody who's really helped you out. How has that relationship developed? Um, started last fall, I think at the high performance camp, that's when I met him. I actually played against him in college a little bit, but didn't know him. And I mean, right away, we were just good friends, went back and forth, kind of messed with each other a little bit, but we know that at the end of the day, we have each other's backs and, um, he's always been, you know, last season one to push me and, uh, call me out whenever it needs to happen, stuff like that. Well, we're really trying to get the best out of each other. Why would he need to call you out? Um, part of it's just him messing with me, um, <laughs> stuff like that. But I think he sees if there's another gear or something like that, that he really wants to get that out of me. So it's been great to have somebody like that. Yeah, right I, next heard, to me. I heard there was a lot of back and forth between and they let you guys handle that. It wasn't a coach is going to tell you what to do that you guys all worked out that relationship amongst yourselves. 
Oh yeah. I mean, even before and after that, we were, we were best friends throughout it. Really good friends. But, um, I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we were fighting all the time, but there, there was just maybe one or two times throughout the season where still being good friends, we just called each other out and what needed to be said to help each other out. It was was all about trying to help the other person. And can it be, I mean, a catcher is going to feel a certain responsibility for a game and a pitcher is going to feel a certain responsibility for a game. And you've got to kind of come to an agreement on that, I would imagine. Yeah, that's a big part of it. I think biggest part for me was I saw how much he cared that a lot of catchers might just care what their average is or how they're playing or stuff like that. But he really wants to take the pitching staff and make it his. So that's really cool to see. That's fantastic to hear right there. Uh, you mentioned the analytical side, and that's something that you are interested in. What about I heard uh, that you have a creative bent as well. I heard you play the ukulele. Uh, oh gosh, I don't know how you heard that one. Um, <laughs> I I tried to learn it. It didn't go too well. Um, I actually got it last Christmas and brought it to spring training, thinking I could master it, but uh, it didn't go too well. Is it around? Is it back there anywhere? Can we hear something? <laughs> it's actually in my room, but no, <laughs> I don't think I can grab it right now. Will you bring it to spring training, maybe again? I could try to bring it next time. We yeah, need a hopefully second I know chance. a song or two by then. All right. We need a second chance of this. This we got to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what is your favorite part of your baseball day? Oh, good question. Uh, favorite part? Um, I love the throwing and all that. I love just going out there every day and knowing that I can get better in some way. Uh, I think a really big part of it is just the relationships you build. We've had such a close group and all really good pitchers, but good people as well. So, I think just going out there with them and getting to work every day is really fun. What's your self-scout right now? If you uh, were a scout looking at yourself, what what would you write down? Um, man, I might be a little partial, a little biased That's towards okay. myself. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think I could be a future, uh, you know, big part of the rotation in, in the future and uh, eat up a ton of innings and hopefully be an all-star one day. That's always been a goal of mine. So um, just trying to do anything I can to make it happen. Who have you enjoyed to watch on the other side on your team? If there, is there a hitter that you would probably rather not face or somebody that you can really appreciate on the offensive side? Yeah, I think uh, Kellenick might be a tough at bat. Uh, you know, hopefully I won't ever have to face him, but I've seen him go against some really good pitchers and uh, just turn it around really impressed me. So that might be a guy I want to stay away from. What are you most looking forward to next year? Hopefully playing in Seattle. I think that'd be awesome. Um, just going to work with the same coaches I've had really good relationships with. Pitching to Callaghan going to be really fun. So just stuff like that, getting back to work with that stuff. Well, Logan, we are looking forward to seeing you in spring training. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And that's an interview that we had, a video interview that we had, and the full interview is available at MyNorthwest.com on the sports page. Still plenty to come on the Hot Stove League show after this. Say, friends, sign up your little sluggers for the 2020 Mariners Kids Club. MVP memberships make a great holiday gift. And they're only $25 and include a Mariners backpack and cap, mini moose bobblehead, $1 ticket vouchers, and exclusive MVP experiences. Plus, new this year, MVP members will receive 10% off select kids apparel at Mariners team stores. Registers today at mariners.com slash kids. We're going to see you on our next hot stove edition 
next year. It'll be January the 7th, a Tuesday night, so join us for our second edition of Hot Stove. We're broadcasting live tonight from uh, Bellevue Square's uh, Mariner's Team store. Our thanks to Shannon Dreyer, Mike Blowers, and Gary Hill. But before we say goodbye, we've got a very special feature on one of the most uh, uh, talented guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, Sadly, Ron Fairley passed away about a month ago. Uh, Ron was not only a great friend, a great broadcaster, and a great player. He was born in Georgia, but grew up in Southern California in Long Beach, went to USC, starred there in the College World Series. He came up with the Los Angeles Dodgers a year later. He played in four World Series with the Dodgers, winning three. He was a star in the 1965 World Series against the Minnesota Twins, facing the likes of a Mudcat Grant. Uh, He was an all-star with the Montreal Expos after he was traded away from the Dodgers to the Expos. He said, I felt like I was, you know, sent to Siberia. And uh, he was an all-star in 73 with Montreal. Later on in his career, he was an all-star for the expansion Toronto Blue Jays in 1977 at the age of 40. And then at the end of his playing career, Gene Autry, the owner of the uh, Angels, uh, talked Ron into becoming a broadcaster. And it was a great move by Mr. Autry because Ron fairly for many, many years with the Angels, with the Giants, and the joy that we had, Ron, for about 14 or 15 years on radio and television with the Mariners working with the late, great Dave Niehaus was one of the best storytellers in the game of baseball. Think about his career. Think about Red uh, playing against or with some of the greatest players in the game of baseball from the early 60s to the late 1970s, and we are going to miss him. Right now, a very special feature on a gentleman that I love dearly, and was outstanding as a player and as a broadcaster. Here's a special feature on our very own Ron Fairley. The Twins lead 4 to nothing. We go to the Mariners' half of the seventh inning. It'll be Griffey, Buhner, and then Martinez. Well, all eyes are on this young man right now as he stands in. Griffey 0 for 2 tonight. And the first pitch from Banks is welcome. There it goes! See you later! Upper deck! Griffey has tied the major league record. Holy cow, the kid has done it. Home runs in eight consecutive games. Well, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, uh, good golly. I mean, and there wasn't any doubt about the ball leaving the yard. I mean, when Junior hit it, I mean, it could have been 400 feet away and it would have cleared it easily. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty I mean, hitting home runs in eight consecutive games. And uh, the thing I do remember that, then Junior came up again, I made Dave Niehaus have the call because I think if Junior would have hit it in nine consecutive games, I think it should have been uh, Dave Niehaus's call for it. Junior, when Junior came up the following game to hit home runs and to set the record, I made Dave Niehaus uh, call his at bat. He wasn't going to do it, but I said, well, there's going to be a lot of dead air. <laughs> From the stretch, Garcia's 1-0 pitch is swung on and hit well to the center field. Griffey going back. He's at the track. He leaps, and he makes the catch. Holy cow, he got it. Oh, my. He got it. He took a home run away from Gonzalez. And side retired. One of the better catches by Griffey. You know, I, I think back with, with the Mariners going to the Kingdom and having all the empty seats, not having a very good ball club, Lou Pinello showing up, 
changing the attitude of the players and watching the Tino Martinez, the Edgar Martinez, the juniors, the Bone, uh, Randy, the big unit, and I don't know. I don't have time to mention all of the names. And watching them learn how to win ball games, And then all of a sudden, everything came together in 95 when Edgar hit the double. Uh, watching the, the big unit, uh, like I said, junior, Bone hitting a home run. I, I got a particular thrill out of watching Jay hit his 300th home run there at, at Safeco Field. That, that, that was a great night. Uh, junior when he hit home runs in eight consecutive games. There, there are so many, many really wonderful, wonderful uh, memories that I have at, uh, at the Kingdome and, of course, at, at, at Safeco Field. Uh, that those are the things that you don't forget. The one-two pitch. Fastball swag out of the high drive. Hit the right field. O'Neill goes back and see you later. Ken Griffey Jr. has just hit his 24th home run of the year and the Mariners lead it 2-1. to one. The thing is that I've got a kick out of Lou is that there'd be times when we'd be doing the game and one of the clubhouse guys would come up and tap me on the shoulder and I'd turn my microphone off and they said, Ron, Lou needs a ride home. <laughs> we live close together. We live close together over in the Bellevue area, and Anita, his wife, had enough. She took the car and t- went home, and <laughs> Lou was on his own. <laughs> I had I had to bring I had to bring Lou home, and and he would he would tell me things about the game and what went on that there's no way I could put that on the air. But I I just I loved I loved those times, especially when the when the Mariner did not play well because he kept banging on my dashboard, and I thought he was going to break the dashboard a few times. <laughs> One-two pitch in the way, and Ichiro swings, slowly hit ground ball to first base, pitcher slow to cover, nobody there, Ichiro beats it out. And he has tied Edgar Martinez for the all-time hit leader for the Seattle Mariners at 2,247 hits. I'll tell you, 1959, we were in St. Louis, and Stan was struggling. He was not, he was not, not doing well. He was not Stan Musial. And uh, we went to Sportsman Park in St. Louis. When I, I went early because I heard that he was going to take extra batting practice. So I want to go out there and watch him. So he got the cage and he hit a few balls. And he, you know, hit a lazy fly ball, hit a ground ball here. I mean, he wasn't, he was off a little bit. And he turned around and he looked at me and said, Ron, what am I doing wrong? And I, I kind of started to laugh. Musial is going to ask me what he's doing <laughs> wrong? You know, I said, Stan, the only thing I can think of is it's not 8 o'clock yet. It wasn't game time. And that night he had a pair of doubles and drove in three runs. But I got a kick out of that. And then that same series I talked to him, he says, Ron, people come out to the ballpark to watch me hit home runs. But he says, for the next two weeks, I'm going to concentrate on hitting the ball up the middle and the other way until I get my timing down once again. And so I followed him. For the next two weeks, Stan hit only one home run, uh, but he was batting 435. He told me when we took batting practice that day, I think I could hit 400, but people come out to the ballpark to watch me try to hit home runs. But in that two-week period, Stan hit 435 because I kept track of that. And I've never, I've never forgotten that. And he got his timing back because in the next week or two after that, he hit a half a dozen home runs. And he had his timing back and was going at it again. The one thing that Ted said, or not Ted, but Stan said, was to pull the ball constantly, your timing has to be too perfect. And you have to be able to hit the ball up the middle the other way occasionally just to keep your timing right. 
And the more I thought about that, it made a lot of sense. Today we see these guys that are up there hitting, and they're, they pull everything, pull everything. Well, their timing has to be too perfect. And the guys that are dead pull hitters, they, they're not going to hit for very much of a high average. The only guy that I can think of that was a pull hitter that hit for a high average was Ted Williams. I mean, Ted says you can take the whole ball club and put them over there. I'll still do <laughs> I've been blessed with incredibly talented partners. Dick Enberg, Hall of Famer Don Drysdale, one of my best friends. Wish he could be here today. Buddy Blattner, Don Wells, guy who's like a brother to me for 14 years, Ron Fairley. Dave did not have a very good sense of direction. And in the spring training, for an example, when we came out of Peoria there at the complex, if you go to the right when you leave our booth, you walk back into the, into the press box. When the game was over, you go to the left to get on the elevators and go down, get in the parking lot, take off, and go wherever you're going to go for dinner. I always waited for Dave to, to leave the, the, the booth first because about four or five times every spring, Dave would come out of the, out of the booth, and he would go to the right back into the press box, and I'd just let him go. <laughs> and then I'd turn around and say, hey, Dave, this way. And then he always told me what I could go do to myself. Swung <laughs> on, hit well, into right center field. Back goes Sierra, and that ball is off the wall and gets away from Blankenship. Around second, he's going for three, and the third, third is offline. Buter with a triple. Not only that, he becomes the first Mariner in history to hit for the cycle. Would you believe it? Koufax was pitching, you know, Whenever he pitched, we had a pitcher in our, on our ball club by the name of, of Pete Rickard. And Pete was a left-handed pitcher and had pitched the major leagues for about uh, oh, 10 or 11 years, mostly with Baltimore. But when he was with the Dodgers, he was the long man in the bullpen. And the only time Pete would go out and have a few drinks would be the, the night before Koufax pitched. <laughs> Sandy was going to you know, get knocked out in the second or third inning. Well, Pete went out this one uh, one afternoon, and lo and behold, Sandy got in trouble in the first inning, and they got Pete up in the bullpen, and Sandy got out of the inning. Uh, in the second inning, uh, Sandy went back out to the mound, and he got in trouble again, and Alston got him up for the second time and went out to the mound. That day, I happened to be playing first base, and so when Alston got to the mound, there were three of us that are standing there. He had Alston, Koufax, and myself, and it was a hot day, temperature above 95 degrees. And Austin looked at Sandy and he says, how do you feel? And Sandy says, better than the guy you have warming up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Austin just turned around and walked back on, on into the dugout. We eventually got hot. We scored some runs and Sandy was the winning pitch. Now has a 10-game hitting streak. The windup and the pitch from Milton on the way. Curb swung on, fly ball, shallow center field, coming in his camp, dives, and it's off his glove. Another base hit for Ichiro, his seventh consecutive game with a multi-hit game. And he's now tied at 294 on the all-time hit list with Ron Fairley. I have been at the playground uh, growing up as a young kid playing every day. I have been at the ballpark my entire life. I don't feel as though I have ever had a job because I'm going to the ballpark and I'm going to the playground every single day. And I have uh, finally came to the conclusion, it's been on my mind, I came to the conclusion that maybe it's time to say goodbye. I have either played in or have broadcast 7,000 games. And that's long enough. It's time for me to take my bat and ball and go home. <laughs> See you later!